Actually, we're starting Psalm 31 this morning. Psalm 31, we're going to give you another taste of Vacation Bible School with uh, a piece of one of the lessons that uh, we had this past week that I thought was well worth our time to hear what the children heard, because it is from God's Word. And in Psalm 31, there's a great verse here, verse number 14, that says this, But as for me, I trust in you, O Lord, I say, you are my God. I think some of our children could even say that verse for us if I asked them to. This psalm is a fascinating psalm, and this message as to trusting in the Lord is one that we need to hear. So let's start with a word of prayer and uh, dive right into this text. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are, your grace, your love, your kindness toward us. The fact that you give us a place to come, that we can rest in you and trust in you see your hand at work. So as we go through this uh, part of our uh, service today, we spend time in your word. Challenge us with it and warm our hearts and draw us close to yourself, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now Psalm 31 is not the primary thing I want to speak on this morning. I'm actually going to talk a little bit about Noah. But it's very important that I think we get a good background of what we're looking at here. This is a favorite uh, passage of mine, Psalm 31. David is making a statement of faith here. A statement of faith. In the, in the context, he is persecuted by his enemies. We don't know who they are in this particular case. Uh, uh, they were seeking to put him to death. We can see that clearly. On several occasions, David was in that situation. King Saul chased him for about ten years of his life to put him to death. His own son Absalom later would chase him to put him to death. Uh, he ended up in the uh, cities of the Philistines. As you know, David was the one that killed the Philistine giant Goliath. And then later David is in there, and the king of the Philistines <laughs> became an issue while David was hiding out in those cities. So we don't know the context of this, but what's interesting in this psalm is that David starts off simply by saying in verse 1, In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. He says in verse number 3, You are my rock and my fortress. In verse number 19, as you jump way across the psalm, he says, How great is your goodness which you have stored up for those who fear you. Then he goes on to say in verse 20, You hide them in the secret place of your presence from the conspiracies of men. See, David was, was trusting in the Lord and acknowledging that's his refuge, his rock, his fortress, his, his, the goodness that he would receive. But David had a terrible predicament here. You see in verse number 9, he's asking the Lord to be gracious to him. For I'm in distress, he says. My, my eyes... My eye is wasted away from grief. My soul and my body also. My life is spent with sorrow. My years with sighing. My strength has failed because of my iniquity. My body is wasted away because of all my adversaries. I have become a reproach, he says, especially to my neighbors. 
and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Uh, those who see me in the street flee from me. That's quite a description. David is walking through his predicament here, and so he makes a plea to the Lord. In verse number 2, he asks the Lord to incline his ear to him. In verse number 4, he speaks of pulling me out of a net that they had secretly laid for me. In verse number 15, in verse number 15, he mentions at the end, or the middle, deliver me from the hand of my enemies and those who persecute me. In verse 16, make your face shine upon your servant. Save me in your loving kindness. In verse 17, let me not be put to shame, O Lord. Where does he come with these kind of statements? These, these things he asks the Lord to do for him. What, what leads him from, from something to bring these requests before the Lord? I think you'll find that in verse number 23. When he says, the Lord preserves the faithful. David was counting on that. The Lord preserves the faithful. And as a result of that, here's two key verses that I, I emphasize here. Verse number 5. You've seen these words before because they are spoken by our Savior. Into your hand I commit my spirit. That's trust. Trust. And then you want perspective? Look at verse 15. My times are in your hand. So put those two together. Where is our trust? Into your hand I commit my spirit. What's your perspective? My times are in your hand. Those are the words of David in such a difficult time. But what has this all spoken of? Verse number 14, that statement of faith. As for me... I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. That's his statement of faith. You know that statement works when your enemies are beating you down and persecuting you. That statement works nearly every situation, in every situation that one can find themselves in. As for me, I trust in you, O Lord. Is that our statement of faith? If we made it simple, would it be this? You are my God. Regardless of what others say, as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. Now, I gave you all that because that was our memory verse on Wednesday. We didn't go through all the details of that, but I wanted you to see the context of that verse because we applied it very quickly to Noah. It was written many years after Noah, but Noah is a man who lived by that same statement. As for me, I trust in you, O Lord. What else could he do? What else could he do? It says in Hebrews 11, verse 7, By faith, Noah, being warned by God about the things that were not seen in reverence, prepared the ark. In reverence, he prepared the ark. By faith, he followed through with what the Lord told him to do. 
I would ask a simple question. Aren't you glad he did? I don't think we would have had VBS if he didn't. In Genesis chapter 7, we have a vivid picture of what this trust looks like. And I want to take you there this morning and spend some time right here in Genesis chapter 7. I like the way the chapter begins. It's such a simple statement. In verse 1, the Lord said to Noah, Enter the ark. He had been working on this ark for, well, we think about a hundred years. Building an ark, preparing it for this flood. And, and the day came when the Lord said, Enter the ark. It was time to get in. Enter the ark. He says, You and all your household, for you alone I have seen to be righteous before me at this time. And you shall take with you every clean animal by seven, male and female, of the animals that are not clean too, male and female, and the birds of the sky, seven, male and female, to keep alive, offspring alive on the face of the earth. For after seven more days I will send rain on the earth. Now, here's an interesting picture. Try to, try to put yourself in Noah's sandals just for a few minutes. He has built this ark, and of course, it's probably quite obvious to his neighbors he has that. It's over the size of a football field. If your neighbor was building such a thing, would you notice? He also found that most of his neighbors did not like it. Matter of fact, there was only eight who were saved. The rest of them did not believe the message that Noah was proclaiming and Peter says he did proclaim it. He was a preacher of righteousness. And they heard, and they heard, and they heard, and they heard that a flood was coming. And when God said to Noah, get in the ark, he had to go in and wait seven days. All right? Put yourself in his spot again. Would you feel kind of silly sitting there? Seven days, it's not raining. Seven days you're sitting in there with your wife, uh, your wife and your three sons and their wives and all those animals. You're in the ark for seven days. And the neighborhood sees you. Do you think they're going to keep quiet about this? Maybe send that white wagon with the little jackets that tie behind your back? What is he doing Seven days, he's just sitting there inside of that ark. The door had not been closed yet. He sits there. That's quite a scene to start with. Noah did that exact thing. It says in verse number 6, Noah was 600 years old when the floods of the waters came upon the earth. Then Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him entered the ark because of the flood. And it speaks of the animals and all this. But the fact is that what God told them to do, Noah did. And then the rains came. Verse number 10 says, the rains started to fall. The kids helped me with this. And they could help me even now if they want to. On day number one, it rained. On day number two, it rained. On day number three, it rained. On day number four, it rained. 
On day number five, it rained. On day number six, it rained. And day number seven, no, he's right, it rained. On day number eight, it rained. And day number nine, it rained. On day number ten, it rained. On day number eleven, are you surprised? It rained. On day number twelve, it rained. On day number thirteen, it rained. Day number fourteen, it rained. That's two weeks, folks. Day number fifteen, it rained. Day number sixteen, it rained. Day number seventeen. You start to see the theme? You could be a weatherman real easy in that day. Day number 18. It rained. Day number 19. It rained. Day number 20. It rained. Day number 21. Three weeks. Day number 22. Day number 23. Day number 24. Even after that, you start to get confused. Day number 25. Day number 26. Day number 27. Uh, day number 28. Day number 29. Day number 30. Uh, day number 31. Day number 32. And day number 33. And day number 34. Day number 35. And day 36. Day 37. And day 38. And day 39. And day number 40. 40 days of rain. Forty days. I don't know if we could even conceive it outside of talking through it slowly and trying to say, this is driving me crazy. Forty days of rain. We know what rain can do in just 20, 30 minutes if it comes down heavy. But on top of that, Genesis 7 tells us that God ripped open the bottom of the seas and the waters gushed out. And God tore open the skies and the water poured down. If you talk about water pressure, there sat an ark made out of wood with water below and water above and 40 days more on top of it all, and it didn't crush it. Why? Because God was holding that ark. That ark did not have a steering wheel. It did not have a rudder. It started to bob up and down in the water, and then it started to float along with it. It could have easily, in human way of saying it, gone across a, uh, a log. It could have hit into the edge of a mountain. It could have struck something sharp. It could have pierced that thing. It could have tipped it over. It could have sunk. But who held that ark? God did. Noah and his family are in an ark, and as the waters rise, 
It goes above, above the houses. It goes above the trees. It goes above the hills. It goes above the mountains. An incredible picture how water prevailed over the face of the earth, verse 17 says. The water prevailed. It was over the whole earth. The consequences of that in verse number 22, you can see. Of all that was on the dry land and all in whose nostrils the breath of life, the spirit of life was, they died. Do you realize that all of this in chapter 7 is in keeping with God's promises? God had promised that the wicked would perish, right? Yes, he did. God had promised Noah, if you build an ark and enter that ark, you would be saved. God had promised to Noah that I will take you through that flood and bring you out on the other end. God kept his promise, didn't he? Did the flood come? Yes. Did the wicked perish? Yes. Did Noah survive? Yes. But as for me, I will trust in you. I will say, Lord, you are my God. You say, okay, Noah, you really didn't have a choice, did you? Well, I think he probably did have a choice here. But let's start this way. How many arcs were there to choose from? One. One ark. There weren't canoes. They couldn't get a pontoon. They couldn't go on some ocean vessel of some sort. They had one to choose from. It was one ark. There were no other options. No other substitutes. No other situations. One ark. There was no other option for Noah but to have faith in God. He had to trust God. He must have faith or else he would have perished. You know, even in this, Noah couldn't rely on himself, could he? He had to trust God. So here's the transition. Because as we see this recorded in Scripture of an event many years ago, that's absolutely true. God uses that same picture to help us understand something that we need to know today. And we need to know it in light of this, and I think it's very easy to understand. We live in a wicked world as well. And Scripture says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It has says that the wages of sin is death. And God was serious about that. He promised that to Adam and Eve. The day you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. Has God kept that promise? Yes, he has. He has never changed his mind about that. God made a promise to them, though, in that day when he was speaking to Adam and Eve. And he told them that there would come a day when they would have a descendant, one of their own seed, who will bruise the serpent's head. And all the way through the, the Old Testament, we see that God had a plan concerning sin. 
Oh, when we understand it well, we see that it actually goes well beyond time before the earth was even created. God had a plan. And in that plan, he revealed that man needs to trust him. All the way through the Old Testament, he kept promising. He would send the solution. He would send the one. He would send that man who would save his people from their sins. You know who it is. His name is Jesus. That was the promise. That God would send his son. He took our sin upon himself when he died on a cross. He wasn't on that cross because of his sin. It was our sin. It's what we had done. He bore our sin on his own body. He died there, as you well know. Scripture says he was buried in a tomb. The stone was rolled in front of it, and three days later, he rose from the dead. His death was promised by God. His resurrection was also promised by God. He had to die to pay for our sin. He had to rise to show us that he has power over death. He had to rise to show us that God was pleased with that sacrifice. He had to rise to show us that there was something on the other side of the tomb. There is eternal life. And he rose to show us that he has life. But, you know, just as Noah was told by God, get into the ark. And there weren't any other options. God says it just as clearly in the New Testament. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And there are no other options. It's only Jesus Christ who can save. Only Jesus Christ. You see, there's a promise here. The promise is this. Believe and you will be saved. Believe in Him and you will have eternal life. Is God going to keep those promises? Absolutely. Because God always keeps His promises. This is what He said in John chapter 3 verse 13, or 18. Rather. He who believes in Him is not judged, but he who does not believe has been judged already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So that comes down to a simple statement of faith. Do you believe? Do you say, as for me, I will trust in you, O Lord. I will say, you are my God. Or, do you not believe? Just as simple as it is. You're either in the ark or you're not in the ark. You're either a believer in Christ or you're not a believer in Christ. That's how clear cut God makes it. That's how how we have to understand this. You are either in or you're out. But as for me, so 
turn that around and you say it in your own heart. But as for me, do you have a statement of faith? But as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. Is that what your heart says right now? I say, you are my God. Is that what your heart says right now? These are the things that we shared with the children this past week. Why did we do all that? Because we want them to trust in the Lord. We want them to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We want them to be saved. Almost like Noah, we were appealing to them, get into the ark. A flood is coming. This morning I appeal to you too. I appeal to you. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believe. If you've never received Christ as Savior, you can do that right now, right where you're at. Because anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you are one who has believed Christ as Savior, good time to rejoice in that. Be thankful for what He has done. When Noah got off the ark, he was very thankful. And I think we ought to be thankful people too. But this morning, I'm going to lead us into prayer. And you're in one of those two places this morning. Either you're one who needs a Savior, or you're one who has a Savior. If you need a Savior, call to Jesus now. And he will save you. If you have a Savior, thank him for what he has done. Heavenly Father, we bow before you right now. So, so appreciative of what you have done. Where would we be without you, O Lord? How would we ever find a solution for our sin, if we tried to devise it our own way, it would perish with us in the attempt. But thankfully, Lord, that's not where we are today. You didn't tell us to manufacture some way to save ourselves. You didn't say, I hope you make it to heaven someday. Rather, you sent your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who took our place on a cross died for our sins, that we, by faith in Him, might have life eternal. And there might be some among us right now wrestling with those very thoughts. Maybe the Spirit's pulling them even right now to come and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. If there are some among us, Lord, no matter what age they are, do your great miraculous work in their life and save them. And Lord, for those of us who know you as Savior... We know that miracle. We have seen what you have done, and we rejoice in your presence today. Thank you so much for giving us eternal life, forgiveness of sins, mercy and grace and peace with God. The fact that we are justified, the fact that we are sanctified, the fact that we are glorified, that we have all these blessings in Christ Jesus. We thank you and we praise you today for what you have done and we give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.